2: Against
1: Gil, a on its feet. Aaron for the win! Welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast.
0: What up, what up? Welcome back to the Sneaker History Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall. I'm with my guys Mike and Rowett to talk about some kicks. We got some great feedback from the last episode. We talked about some of our uh, most, let's say, uh, game-changing sneakers in our younger days, and uh, we want to get into a little bit deeper of a dive into that story, maybe. And of expand in a way but before we get into that because we touched on some sensitive topics i'm gonna let row give a little psa for the listeners and sponsors slash potential sponsors take it away row
2: thank you nicholas um I would first like to preface this statement by saying the opinions expressed by me are only that of myself and not that of the corporate entity of the Nick Engvall (laughs) Empire, the Sneaker History (laughs) Podcast, the Exhaust Notes Podcast, Crown and Stitch, Stitch and Crown, and God knows how many other secret podcasts Nick has, because I'm convinced at this point he's got one for every day. But yes, as my illustrious co-host alluded to, we went after some people. Last episode, and not just any people, one person in particular, arguably the deadbeat dad of the fast food industry, and that's one Papa Murphy's. And like a deadbeat dad, Papa Murphy's only does half the job. But because we are always trying to find balance in this crazy thing we called life, and as a Libra, I need to be fair and balanced, we decided today we would skew to the other end. And this is going to be anywhere from a five to 15 minute love letter to the flagship. Mexican restaurant in America. Not Taco Time. Not Fiesta Del Mar. Not Chipotle. Not Qdoba. I'm of course talking about Taco Bell. A.K.A. T-Bell. A.K.A. Tuberculosis. No, that's not it either. I've already gone off script. Wrong place. But the reason we're talking about this is as is with all of our great episodes, some of the best ideas happen to us during our pregame meeting, which is Five minutes before we go live and there's somebody in this call. We're not going to mention his name. We'll just point him out as the gentleman in the middle taking a big swig of something. I don't know who his name rhymes with Mike. Yep. (laughs) And we had to put young, let's call him bike on game. And by game, we mean there is now a significant and very special restaurant in the heart of Las Vegas. And that is called the Taco Bell La Cantina. And that's Spanish for the championship. That's not actually Spanish for the championship, but it feels like you've won so many championships because when you go in there, it is two stories. It has a VIP lounge, whatever the hell that is, because that's a sentence I don't associate with Taco Bell unless you're talking about their bathrooms. And really, that's half the allure of going to Taco Bell is the bathrooms are always questionable, but it adds a certain spice to the story that you're telling your friends. I like the double entendre
1: that a spice because yeah, you're going to the bathroom. It's going to be
2: rough. Probably. Look, why spend $35 on a juice cleanse? That's like almond milk and turmeric. When you can just get a Baja (laughs) blast and a potato cheesy Fiesta crunch, and you're going to get the same result. You're going to lose the same weight, but I digress. Less time. You're going to do it. What can Brown do for you? In this case, clean out your bowels. (laughs) Other thing, I'm not much of a drinker. Really, I don't drink at all. But the thing that I see when I talk to my buddies, my friends, my family, my peer group, my adversaries, my acquaintances, is the fact that there's no other location that I can think of that mixes alcohol with Taco Bell classics. And all I told Mike, oh, I'm sorry, Bike, or you know what it is, Mike? It's me. Mike This it it is yeah, guy. Gay. I mentioned the word Baja Blast Margarita, and this man went on Expedia. And tried to book a trip right then and there.
1: You think so I'm joking. In,
2: no, I'm not joking. I'm like, as is commonplace in a lot of other podcasts, explain yourself. I mean, first of all, have you had a Baja Blast Mountain Dew? I'm not a big
1: soda drinker, but when I do, it's a Baja Blast Mountain Dew.
2: It, it's it, the Gatorade Frost of sodas. We're like, I am making Gatorade Frost is so much better than every other Gatorade there is. It's because it's the most artificial. Like they've given up on this whole so notion fake. of you have to have fruit <laughs> yeah. flavoring. Yeah. Like, what the hell's a riptide rush? What hey, the hell's glacier frost? From the middle of the
1: Pacific, they grab the water. Boom.
2: <laughs> yeah, because you find that purple only in the <laughs> deepest of springs in the Colorado mountain ranges.
1: <laughs> I mean, look, man. I, first of all, that is the most exciting thing I've heard today. And I mean, come on. Nick, don't let Nick fool you. He's laughing. <laughs> but he is in, such, in so deep with Mexican pizzas like myself. That he, he, he's P-Bark. he he's I'm booking him a ticket too, because he'll he'll join me in our gorging yeah. ourselves of Mexican pizzas and Baja Blast margaritas. And our significant others will probably have to drag us out of there because twenty bucks can probably do so much damage in that place. Think about it. The dollar menu at Taco Bell or the five dollar box with a five dollar Baja Blast margarita. I'm hurting myself. That bathroom, they're gonna have to call <laughs> someone afterwards. <laughs>
2: You've heard the concepts of white room? That's the brown room. <laughs> it's just everywhere.
0: I don't know why it's always poop with me, but Nick, please save us. I, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, if Mike goes, I'm going. You know. I, By the way, when you say going, does that mean literally going? <laughs> well, I mean, one step <laughs> at a time, right? <laughs> like, yeah, you, you've got to start with the getting there. Then you, you know, then you, you have to go, right? Like, There's not really, really, <laughs> not really a choice afterwards, but... You know,
1: there's no options once you eat it.
0: <laughs> but I, I mean, I agree. Mexican pizza, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not like the craziest Baja Blast fan. I think it's great, but I don't drink soda outside of Taco Bell. So when I do, it's always I'm always trying to go for Dr Pepper because that's the soda that I miss drinking. That's fair. But okay, all right, all right. But I also think that if they have alcohol, and if you could do mixed drinks. My friends and I, back in the day when we were a little more liberal with our alcohol, uh, <laughs> made up a drink called the Teeter totter which is actually Crown Royal and Dr Pepper uh, cherries. If you want, for me, I'm always a Maraschino cherry fan. I know they're not good for me. I know that they're basically fake and it's poisonous, okay. and all we're those talking things, talk but about.
1: We're already past that point of not good for you. You get me.
0: Like. You get me th- that combination of those three things in a beverage and a and a mexican pizza or two or three or four mexican pizzas and i might propose to you on the spot i don't know like i mean i don't i can't think of a better like like what what else what else like just exemplifies commitment in my life than that
2: i'll, I'll tell you i'll tell you what i'm not very much a religious man i'm not sure what's up there but i do believe something and someone is up there and he or she takes care of all of us because that's why taco bell was introduced in my life and then like all the good gods, he or she also punishes us when we (laughs) indulge too much in a good thing. Gluttony, we can't have that, man. (laughs) Uh, If we ever remade seven, instead of a serial killer feeding me spaghetti until I explode, I would hope that it would be the chicken quesadilla or the Mexican pizza because this is the other thing we are giving you, listener, as a life hack, is not only is the Mexican pizza probably the crown jewel in the Taco Bell kingdom, it is the one item that unites non-vegetarians and vegetarians. And you may wonder, why is that? Because let me tell you, as somebody that's married to a vegetarian that believes in the exuberance and the healing powers of the Mexican pizza, what is the most questionable thing about Taco Bell to the naysayers and the non-believers? Obviously not any of us on this panel tonight, but are the heretics that we may find ourselves aligned with in life. Oh, we it's know, the 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 it's the we yeah. know the
1: risk, it's we the meat. We know the risk, we take
2: it. <laughs> Ironically, it's not Arby's that's about the meat, it's about Taco Bell and the meat. And our non-veget our vegetarian brethren and sisterin have decided, let's take this poison chalice of a ingredient out of the equation. So they eat it vegetarian, they have a much longer life, they're not eating as much processed food as us heathens in the meat are, but we're okay because that's what Taco Bell, like all great things, does. It divides us only to show how united we can be when things are dire. And right now things are dire because Mike has not gone to La Catina. I can't even say it right now. This is the guan yujo of fast food for me. But if you are in the greater Las Vegas area, hell, if you're in the Continental 48, maybe even the 50, let's get Puerto Rico some love right now because they desperately need it. Find yourself to the nearest Taco Bell. And by any means necessary, get a Mexican pizza. Tell them Nick Engval <laughs> sent you. As they get concerned and confused about what that means, <laughs> like, who? take a drink of glass. And that's all I have to say on this topic. Guys, any final thoughts? I mean, well, if my th-
1: father-in-law lives there. So if you hear this, um, I'm on the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so I know there's cantina locations, other places. So if you know of some, Wait, what? there's one in Chicago for Chicago, sure. Chicago, I believe yeah, right? there's one in Chicago for sure. And I think there's probably some in Southern California somewhere, but I'm not 100% sure on those. But if I you know of that. them, you, you should going. definitely leave us a comment in the discord or on social media channels at Sneaker History about that and let us know what your nearest locale is. The last thing I will say about this kind of on the vegetarian tip, because I Ebb and flow out of vegetarianism pretty regularly when Mexican pizza is not on the menu. Uh, <laughs> Taco Bell, if you ever hear this, just make some impossible meat. It's it's probably the same thing to be honest. So let's just get it over with. Impossible meat on the Taco Bell menu. Impossible meat Mexican pizza. I, I'd probably eat more. I don't know if I can eat there. I don't know if it's physically possible to eat at Taco Bell more than I do right now. So. I will talk about you on the podcast more frequently if you can do that for me. That's all. Thank you for listening to our 10 minute rant about this. <laughs> it's been an honor to indulge ourselves amongst your presence as listeners and viewers. Let's talk about some sneakers.
1: Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, now I'm just hungry. Great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Mike, there is a Taco Bell cantina in Texas. Is it in Houston, Austin. Texas? It's in Austin,
0: Texas, unfortunately.
1: It's so far away.
2: It
0: is. I mean, you could always go for Formula One weekend when the rest of the Exhaust yeah. Notes crew it will be there, right? Wink, wink. Exhaust Notes are FM. You going,
1: are you going next month? Is this a thing?
0: Not not this year. Not this year. I'm not going Oh, to this I was year. Like, I mean, I, I'm like, I guess try, I need to show up. Plenty of guys in the Discord will definitely be there, though. But yeah. anyway, I want to talk about a shoe that... Changed your opinion once you got it in hand or got it on foot, because I started thinking about this after we talked about uh, recent episode about, you know, the shoe that kind of like really significantly changed our opinion or our emotional connection to sneakers. And there's a, there's a handful that, that like came to mind when I first started thinking about it, but I think there's probably a, there's probably one more recent, I guess, recent, like recent within the last 10 years, that really was like kind of a, a poignant one for me. So I'm going to let one of you you guys start us off and then I'll get into my uh, kind of, I don't know what, I don't know what the term would be, but it's basically when you, when you see a shoe and you're like, yeah, that's all right. And then you see it in hand or put it on foot and you're like, whoa, this is not what I was expecting. And you basically instantly start going, looking for other colorways.
2: You there? Oh.
1: you hear us, Nick? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. All right. It, you just, like, it, you froze, and it was just, you said in hand, it's all the last Uh-oh. one we heard. All right. So, yep, I have to go with a recent one for me. Hey. Uh, New Balance 2002R, love the shoe. I just never understood the protection pack or refined future to what it should be called. I was like, it's just the same thing and some, like, jagged edges on it i got one in hand and i was like oh okay i understand is that what, what the thought, party's at that's <laughs> i understand that's what the party's at at this point i was like i was being that guy like mm, this is stupid then i was like all right let me try it and like i understand why you fools out here are paying this much money i won't do that because i got these for retail but i understand because it just makes the shoe look so much better with just kind of this the extra touches mm. and I don't. Again, I don't justify five hundred dollars for a New Balance sneaker, but I can see why people are a bit excited about it as a really cool look, and of course the shoes as comfortable as all get out. So I get it. I get it. So that's one of mine that I had. What What is retail on that shoe anyway? Retail for this one is I want to say one fifty for the Refined Future. Typically, I think normal two thousand two R's are like one thirty.
0: Good shoe, I like it. Yeah, I like it. Not mad at it.
2: No, I think, I think for me, it's not necessarily a shoe per se, but more a signature line. And part of this is the pettiness that I have as a human being associated with the inspiration behind the signature line. And of course, I'm talking about the Kobe line. And. I think so much of last episode was predicated on where we are in our lives when he fell in love with sneakers or got bit by the sneaker bug. And when you get bit by the sneaker bug, so much of your thought process around sneakers is your financial situation. So I think all of our co-hosts, including myself, all had this moment of when we would buy sneakers, that was the only thing we wore for six months or a year. So then when you get placed in the industry and you have that disposable income that inevitably goes towards sneakers, you can be a little bit more selective. And that kind of opens your eyes around, okay, yeah, I like this sneaker for its aesthetic or I like this sneaker for its performance if you're playing a particular sport. And for me, I think I've waxed poetic on countless episodes about the Airjet Flight Max. And that was probably the definitive low-top basketball shoe before Kobe's four, and that was one of those things where I fell in love with that shoe. I'm in that cult. I will always speak highly of that shoe, and I always thought that any low cut basketball shoe was pale in comparison to that Air Jet Flight Max. I see the Kobe in hand. I'm like, okay, great low cut. This is going to be, eh. but then you play in it. And you're like, okay. As much as I hate the guy right now behind this shoe, this is a great great shoe. This truly allows me to play up to whatever my pedestrian level is as a basketball player. And that's the secret of a great basketball shoe. It causes you to overachieve in a way that you don't think possible until you wear the shoe and you do assists, points, rebounds in said shoe. So for now the Kobe Bryant line, and then a pinnacle point in that line was the eight, because then that was in my mind, the first shoe that was equally aesthetically pleasing as it was performance based. And so you had colorways like the Mamba which Took into account Kobe's love of soccer, but then also kind of applied the chocolate in the peanut butter methodology we always talk about where you're combining two things that on the surface don't have a connection. But when they do have that connection and when it is discovered by the masses, oh, there's this feeling of how did we ignore this? How did we live our life without making that? So I think for me, the Kobe line right now would be that.
0: Yeah, that's a good call. It is. I kind of I kind of say that's that's definitely one of those moments for me, too a little bit earlier on in the line, but the Kobe four, it was like, I mean, that was obviously like kind of a game changing shoe because it shifted the perception of, of like what you could play in. Right. Like
1: yeah.
0: in hindsight, you know, it wasn't a low cut shoe the way the line evolved to low cut shoes. But when the four came out, it was kind of like, wait, a pro basketball player at Kobe's level playing in a shoe that is, you know, a, a, a mid mid, at best, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that like when, you know, when you see it in hindsight and everybody does their comparison videos of like, oh, well, it's almost the same size as the Jordan three or whatever. But like it didn't feel like that. It felt like yeah. what the hell is Kobe doing wearing this? And I absolutely love that shoe. I, I, I mean, it's also like the heart of the rivalry between the, you know, between Kobe and and uh, or the Lakers the and Kings. the Kings and and all of that. So it's hard for me to like acknowledge that as a fan, but it, it, that shoe was a game changer. I, I'm the so. same.
2: I'm the same way. Right. Like there's this concept of the critically acclaimed teams, which are those teams that have a special spot in your heart, but they've never won a title. So all we can do in terms of remembering them is waxing poetic on our respective podcast. Kobe Bryant and Shaq and Robert Ori and Derek Fisher have put a lot of teams in that critically acclaimed column when in actuality they should have been champions. Yep.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Robert Ori, yeah. specifically, Mills. right? Like he just. Took our hearts out, threw them on the ground, ground, stomped on them.
2: But Mike, the greatest availability is, uh, a greatest ability is availability. Sorry, I Mm butchered that. Unlike Robert Ory, who would have probably said it flawlessly and in French. (laughs) So there you go.
1: I just, Hey, I mean, I'm in the same boat. It was like that T-Mac era of my rockets and he just couldn't get past Kobe. Uh, so I understand. And I remember seeing the Kobe four the first time when I was in, college, I think it was my first year of college at the rec center where we play ball. I saw someone wearing them. I'm like, it was like the white and gold pair. I'm like, oh my God, like these are literally amazing. But I, I don't know how I feel about these shoes because Kobe is literally wrecking my team single-handedly. Um, but you know what? I, I let that hate go. And ne- the next year when Kobe five came out, best believe I jumped on the train immediately.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> uh so so the other you know kind of along that line of the journey right we talked about you know a lot of those memories for us in in the previous episode were that like turning point 16 15 16 17 where you're like you're getting to the point where you're making your own decisions around sneakers you're maybe buying your first pair and you're you're starting to make some money to like be able to buy more pairs whatever that looks like I think from a career trajectory for me. Okay, time out. Did you know that we have an entire network of podcasts? That's right. It's called the Retrospect Podcast Network, and it includes a number of shows that you might like if you're enjoying this one. First up is for the F1 fans. Exhaust Notes is a Formula One podcast that's the perfect balance for the new fans joining the sport and the tried and true diehard F1 fans who've been there all along. New episodes of Exhaust Notes drop every Tuesday on all of your favorite podcast platforms and at ExhaustNotes.fm. We've also got a show for the fitted hat collectors out there called Crown & Stitch. As a baseball fan, I've been obsessed with hats for as long as I can remember, and the number of people collecting now has gone through the roof. It reminds me of sneakers back in the day, and I absolutely love seeing creativity of the new releases. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode of Crown & Stitch on all of your favorite podcast platforms and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Stitch. If you follow me personally on social platforms at Nick Engvall, you probably already know I first dipped my toes in the podcast game back in 2015 with a show called Outside the Box. Originally hosted by my friends Brandon Edler and Jacques Slade, it eventually evolved into a show with Tiffany Beers, Jacques Slade, and myself, and then into an interview series with some amazingly creative guests. While the show has gone through a lot of changes throughout the years, and is currently on hiatus, a lot of people have been enjoying past episodes recently, and I'm excited to say I have new episodes in the works for the new year. We'll be adding new podcasts to the Retrospect Network in the coming months as well. In fact, if you'd like to advertise on any of the shows, be a guest on any of the shows, or even talk to us about getting your own podcast started, reach out to us at podcast at sneakerhistory.com and find out more about the podcast network at retrospectpodcast.com. Perf- like, in like, you know, whatever it was, 2012, 2013, I was at Finish Line. And before that, I had written for Soul Collector. I'd written for Nice Kicks. I had done a bunch of contract work for East Bay. I'd done some some work for East Bay through my soul collector job, um, but I really hadn't been fully in corporate, the corporate world of what the sneakers, what the footwear industry is. And so, when I got to finish line, I really learned a lot from that experience because you don't necessarily realize all the nuances, all the ins and outs, all the all the back and forth that has to happen for. A company to for a manufacturer like Nike or Adidas or or Converse or somebody to work with a retailer like Finish Line. Because on one hand, you have the brand and they tell an aspirational story, right? Nike is the best at this. They're absolutely the best at this. Yeah. And whether that's you know Nike or Widen and Kennedy or any of their other partners. They always find a way to get the best story out, the most aspirational and inspirational, if we're being completely honest. But like just the statement of everyone is an athlete and that mentality, it, it's it's to your point, Road, it, it's like it wraps us all in. Right. Whether we're just putting on a pair of shoes to play casually, we feel like that is a part of us becoming better at what we do, whatever that is we do. And all the brands do this in some in some way or another. Right. And. Sometimes it's, it's wrapped into a performance or a technology, technology advancement. Sometimes it's just the statement and it gets lovingly butchered by Kevin Garnett. Impossible is nothing. (laughs) Uh, You know, everything's impossible. I don't know what the statement is at this point. It's been so long, but the shoes that changed my perspective on Adidas, I couldn't, I couldn't grab the, the first one, but it's the energy boost was the very first energy boost. Um, and then, of course, the ultra boost, so like nice this is like my fourth fourth or fifth pair of this colorway, obviously, my favorite purple being a king's you know, being a king's color, I'm wearing it pretty regularly anyway, but the craziest part about the shoe and when it came out, not this shoe but the 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 energy boost, the first energy boost, mm-hmm. was like the the story wasn't necessarily heavily about boost yet it it was boost. Mm-hmm. But it was like the tech fit upper, right? Like it was, it was essentially like a, I mean, it was, it was kind of like a, like a fleece, but like seam welded with like this, you know, kind of plasticky. Yeah. I, everybody does seam welding it nowadays yep. with, with synthetics. But like, then it was really interesting to me visually and like, just trying to understand what that shoe was. But then. When I got the shoe and wore the shoe for the first time, it was like, okay, this styrofoam looking stuff that I think is kind of weird looking is like at that point, the aesthetic no longer mattered. I was like, this shoe is way more comfortable than anything else I'm putting on. The, the upper was sort of sock like at that time, not full like ultra boost levels, but you still had the separation between the, the upper and the tongue on that shoe. But the yeah. cushioning on it was just so impressive to me, like in, you know, it, part of that played into like where I was life wise. I was running a lot. So I ran in that shoe. I, I was living in Boulder, working at finish line, and I was literally like walking, you know, half mile, mile to work every day. I never drove my car. So it was like one of those things where like I would wear those. And even in the snow, I would wear something like that. And I would have like a pair of shoes at, at my desk that I could change and wear around the office. So I could wear some other Heat in the, in the office. Right. <laughs> but like that, that shoe was like such a crazy, like it was a moment where, I don't know if I have any friends that are still working at finish line or that listen to this, but like, it was a moment where I think we missed the opportunity as finish line to tell our story with that shoe, but also Adidas missed their opportunity to tell that story too. Thankfully for Adidas, Kanye came along, wore that shoe, wore the the two M the second it was a pure boost you wore right it it was an energy boost the first it's like the energy boost two, two energy boost SM or 2M or something like that I can't remember the 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 technical name of it but yeah it was basically like a a running shoe that was a a running a performance running Mm -hmm. shoe that was all white and that shoe sold out instantly everywhere Mm -hmm. and then it turned into the ultra boost it turned into him wearing the ultra boost but like I'm, I don't want to take away from the kind of the credit that Kanye does deserve because like he's gone a long ways from where I've lost my interest as a fan, but the turning point for Adidas, in my opinion, could not have happened without boost happening at that moment because they, they had, they had the design aspects of this it running in parallel as boost was coming out. Right. So you had mm-hmm. the ZX flux, you had the tubular yeah. <laughs> returning in its new form. You had, mm-hmm. you know, Nick Galway, who is basically designed, you know, I mean, realistically, he's the one that inspired Kanye to come to Adidas and make all these shoes with Adidas, but mm-hmm. like that, that era right there was such a sweet spot. And I just happened to be at finish line, being able to be a part of these launches for this stuff, on a, on a massive scale, you know, finish lines, a, a North American company, but like, you know, we were, we were working with, you know, like players in the league to like connect the dots for us because it was like, well, we can't necessarily talk about basketball shoes that we don't have, but if we can get, you know, five minutes with Jeremy Lynn or five minutes with, you yeah. know, Patrick Beverly, or, you know, we did some stuff with uh, Joe Kim Noah. Like there's just so many opportunities for us to like, connect the dots in a way that's like, Hey, these guys, are, these guys will wear this stuff off the court as well. Cause it's comfortable, yeah. but like boost was like such a game changer in that regard that to me, like, I have to mention it in this, in this conversation because it, it just like, it just changed everything about, about the competitive landscape of sneakers as well. Right. It, it gave Adidas like the opportunity to compete with Nike at the top of the you know, at the top levels of sneakers in a way that we haven't seen since. Right. Like Virgil came back and like shifted it again. And it's like, we haven't really heard much from Adidas. We haven't really heard. I mean, don't get me wrong. All these brands make amazing stuff. Like, but like, you know, I'm talking like who owns the conversation across the board when the people that don't care about sneakers are listening and it's been Mm -hmm. Nike for the last, you know, four or five years. And Adidas had that really crazy window there that was just like the perfect storm of, of design aesthetic Kanye being a part of it and technology that was like most importantly technology that was usable and wearable by the average consumer. Cause that's one of the things Robbie and I talked about recently is like, you know, I love all that next percent, next 5% vapor stuff. Like it's like, that stuff is amazing to me, but it's also so far above the heads of 90% of the world. That mm-hmm. like it doesn't really matter until we until we bring it down to like the hundred, hundred and fifty dollar yeah. price point, right? So yep. uh, four hundred dollars ain't gonna cut it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But
2: now I was gonna ask you, Nick, do you think what caused the Yeezy to jump over the jump man was the boost? Because it's one of those things that I was in Nike for a decade, as some of the listeners of the pod may know. And there are very few moments in time that I can remember that the random PLM at Nike was ever going to admit something bothered them, let alone out and out saying that one is giving me nightmares. And I will say this, the boost inspired a lot of different nightmares (laughs) of people within the industry, especially those that are based on the Beaverton side of Portland, let's just say. And it was one of those things where I didn't buy it necessarily because I think I was so deep in the forest that I couldn't see the trees. But when you remove yourself from that, that is probably the highest compliment you can pay a shoe is like, it's so comfortable. I don't care what it looks like.
0: Yeah. Well, and then you start, then it starts to grow on you at that point too. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's interesting. And like, maybe someday we'll get into the nuances of uh, the crosstown rivalry in Portland. Cause you know, the across the river statement, I've heard a hundred, 200 times, 300 times in my life of like, we don't really talk about those people across the river and <laughs> oh, it's such a wild thing to me. Right.
2: No, but that's and, how competitive thing. it is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a across the river, uh, across the river rivalry. There's the inside the berm rivalry yep. that if you are paying attention, you can kind of put two and two together and figure out what are the warring factions. But I will say this. It's an industry where ego cannot let you admit any mistakes. Yeah. So it speaks volumes when you even give that little nugget, that morsel of a compliment to the other guy saying, holy shit, we have to kind of up our game now. Cool. And to your point, Nick, people are going to gravitate towards the Kanye of it all because he is that big shiny star that it's an easy narrative to latch onto. But Adidas Tech was a little bit better than Nike Tech in that moment, whether anybody wants yeah. to admit it or not. I,
0: mm-hmm. I 100%, 100% agree. So so I actually have a theory on this that w- that... I'm going to let Mike speak because I feel like I've been cutting him off. But I have a theory on this no, that you, I, you think, I think Sorry, there's a, oh, okay. I think I think Nike made a singular mistake that they have never made before in that Uh-oh. moment that, that actually left that opportunity open. But go ahead, Mike.
1: No, I'm just going to say that even to this day, the Ultra Boost is one of those few shoes that I will continue to buy over and over. And I'm in a dilemma now of where I'm looking at two shoes I like. One of them being the Jordan. One of them, I can actually get my hands on that chalk slash cream ultra boost that retroed again in this year. I had no idea. And I'm leaning towards the ultra boost because I just that's one of those shoes that will always have a special place for me because it was different. And I was part of like, you know, when I say part of that, I was I watched the, the growth of, oh, nobody's messing with Adidas. You know, that's kind of how the, the overarching sneakerhead thing was to boom, this blew up. I still have a pair of like original 1.0s in my closet, the all the black and with the white boost. It's just I don't say this word often, but it's one of the perfect shoes out there. Like there's nothing wrong with that shoe. And I really think that with everything going on with Kanye and Adidas, I if Adidas was smart, I would say if we're gonna get rid of the 350 eventually, I say start put let's let's start the Ultra Boost back and try and find a way to make it that casual shoe again because they made it more performance because they had the 350 already. So let's make it more performance driven. If they scale, right. not scale back, but kind of revert back to that casual wear, I think they could maybe not catch lightning in the bottle again, but I think they can put the ultra boost in a competitive mm-hmm. um, place in, in the sense of the sneakerhead because everyday people buy the ultra boost. Like there's basically they walk into the academy, walking to Dick's, they grab an ultra boost. That's still a high selling shoe. But if you want to get it back to that quote unquote hype, just start transitioning it back, and I again, it's a perfect shoe.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think there's a, you know, there's an inherent like like pendulum that swings in the sneaker world, right? It's mm-hmm. it goes from I'm willing to wear this shoe that's maybe a little bit bulky or a, or a little bit of a dated retro style, or or maybe it's a new modern style, but it's just over the top and like mm-hmm. big. And the ultra boost was the opposite of that, right? It was like, it was like not, it was not us saying is it's not Nike saying we're going to make the Nike free series and everybody's a runner and you're going to run in a barefoot inspired sneaker. It was like, no, this is just going to feel like a sock and it's going to have some crazy cushioning on it. And that in itself was, was enough to like, to catch the pendulum at the right moment, in my opinion. And I think that, you know, yeah, you can layer on the Kanye effect and like, look, I think the ultra boost would have been incredibly popular, even if Kanye never wore it because the average person, it was pretty comfortable. Now it's not like a shoe that you can wear, you know, like I can wear a pair of, let's say Jordan ones or dunks or forums or new bounds, five fifties in the garage, working on the car, not have to wear, worry about a thing, anything's falling on my feet getting beat up or something with the ultra boost is a little bit different, right? Cause it's a knit upper. It really is like, mm-hmm. okay, this is a casual shoe or, or if you want to run it. I mean, I ran in it for a long time when it first came out, I, I think there's better options now, but like, I think the one thing that I always go back to about the, that era, right? So the Roshi came out 2012, the mm-hmm. tubular came out, Roshi came out. I want to, I want to say like June, of 2012 mid mid-year spring summer-ish the tubular came out like basically eight to nine months later early spring 2013 very very similar in terms of like style right there was no backstory to the Roshi. Uh, there was no legacy story there was no retro product there was no product that inspired it there was with the tubular. So like Adidas didn't really lean into that too much because the tubular system originally was not a thing that that like people caught onto or knew about, right? You had to be kind of really into the sneaker world and probably more importantly, into like technology of running shoes to care about tubular, you know, 20, whatever it is, 25 years ago. Um, But the thing that Nike always does that is incredible Is stuff we've already mentioned, right? The free series, 5.0, 3.0, 4.0, 5.0, 7.0. The the double sack zoom in the, you know, next fly percent, next percent fly, whatever it is. Uh, You know, like, (laughs) I mean, just repeatedly Air Max, everything about what Nike has done incredibly well has has connected you to a future purchase. And I don't think people realize how well they do this because like they introduce Air Max. As a overarching storyline, not even just a the technology, they introduced that. And now all of a sudden you are c- going to care about whatever else comes out from any of the brands at Nike. They never did that with the Roshi. The Roshi had a very unique outsole. It was very simplistic and minimal, but it was comfortable. Yeah. The upper, you know, like super simple, nothing crazy. And like everybody was looking for something that was inexpensive and comfortable, but Nike didn't latch on to telling the story of what the technology was or what the cushioning was, or what, what, what could I take from the Roshi and get in the next shoe? Even the second Roshi, it just didn't happen. There was no connection to it. And I think that is the missing piece that they, they left like the slightest window of opportunity for Adidas to take that market share in that moment. Because if Nike would have, let's, let's say. The Roshi had, you know, I don't know, pick a name, right? Moon crystal cushioning. Every shoe from that point on, because Nike's so good at it, you would be looking like, okay, which which is the next moon crystal cushioning? I got to see what's what they're going to do with this. Yeah, It lives so well on its own. And part of that is because it was so inexpensive, they didn't need to tell the story. Like the people that are buying a Roshi at Kohl's didn't care. If, yeah. if it was, if they, they cared because they bought it for 60 or $70. They didn't care about the Zen like features of the shoe, you know, but put like but react in the would have been
1: different. Like call it react. Like right. have, had they done that? Had they, had
0: they done some sort of like, yeah, like you, you would have had this continuation and mm. not to say that Nike didn't capitalize on the Roshi, right? Cause the Roshi was a solid, I mean, I feel like they had Everybody a two or three year one. run of just the first pair. And, you know, but like, Unlike what Nike always does, they didn't attach whatever their signature mo- s- moment was. Right, that could be flying it, that could be cushioning, that could be Zoom cushioning Nick, or Zoom do you, insoles. Do you whatever. think that's
2: because it goes against the actual aesthetic of the shoe? Like you said it yourself, it's a very minimalist. Zen shoe. And when I hear those terms, I don't necessarily think of a wealth of materials or the newest technology. I agree with you. I agree with every point you're making. If they had put any sort of branding on any sort of that property of that shoe, you would have people that are not even sneakerheads waxing poetic about, oh, the moon crystals really give you the best toe separation. So that way, when you get a pedicure, you don't have as much dead skin in between your toes. Like, whatever that story is. And it's one of those things where I think the Roshi like that's a shoe that deserves its own 30 for 30, lack of a better term, because of its humble beginnings, how it got to where it got. And then the inevitable sequel that felt so anti Roshi because it just felt like a cash grab more than anything. And I think to your point, if they had done a better job of telling the story with the Roshi one, they could have done a better job telling the story with the Roshi two and the shoe wouldn't have died off. But there's also some other off the field curricular activities in my mind that led to that downfall of that shoe, but that's for the super exclusive Patreon episode that only four of us are ever going to hear.
1: <laughs> well, dude, I would love. So if they decide to bring back the Roshi, which they won't do because it would have to take some kind of weird, you know, oh, we're bringing back a Travis Scott Roshi. That that would kind of be their way of justifying to bring it back. Yeah. But if they were to bring it back and let's all right, cool, let's let's do a Nick's saying. Let's put something behind it so that way the tech heads. Will be a part of it, the Hype Beast will be a part of it. Let's change it the whole outsole, make it this like same same design, bring it back the Roshi one in the Pro Tro setting, but change the whole thing in the Zoom X cushioning. You don't know how many shoes I would buy. If they would change it to full Zoom X out like outsole cushioning, God knows it won't last super long. But the story of the cushioning, the comfortability of the shoe, it, it it's a no-brainer. I mean, you would capture different markets. You have to probably charge 154 for it now, but, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, Mike, I like, look at it this way. This thing right here is awesome. the modern-day Roche. Mm-hmm. This is a story that they could easily tell and say, we came up with this shoe to go after the people with disabilities that can't tie their shoe. Yep, And it's got a very similar aesthetic to the Roshi. It's got a very similar aesthetic to the sock dart. And I'm not sure that wasn't done purposely. Like it, everything Nike does has a meaning behind it. It's just yeah. how quickly can we as the public decode it and how quickly can they apply it to the next iteration of whatever shoe it is? Mm-hmm. I really hope that this signals a return to that type of aesthetic where it's less is more.
1: Yeah. Well, hold on, let me grab on because for what we're talking about, I think it's probably good to see this. Hold on. Y'all keep going. I got. I want to pull up this old yeah. uh, shoe real fast.
2: Nick, you you said this is going to be a thirty-minute episode. I think we're about to
0: hit hour two now. Well, it's interesting because I agree with you on the, you know, it would have lost its would have lost its zen without you know,
2: yeah,
0: or with some sort of crazy branding. But I think that's that's what's interesting to me is like Air, for instance, right now, Air at like you know uh, pre Vapor Max, right where we have. Just a full, you know, I mean, I know it's not 360, but like the Air Max 2013 to 17 or whatever, right? Essentially the same like storyline, but filled with air. You know, like if you were to just say, okay, well, this is Roshi foam. That's all it would have taken for the second one to work. That 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 could have translated into even more sales of, you know, the, any of the slip on stuff, right? Like it could have, maybe that just became the slip on stuff. What's interesting too, as I'm saying that is Adidas tried to do that. They tried to capitalize on the momentum of that, like casual look with their cloud foam stuff. And those shoes are crazy comfortable, but, but they absolutely did not go anywhere. And they had a whole different, uh, you know, whole lineup of cloud foam cushioned shoes, but they just didn't. the, The original cloud foam, I think they were like, let, let's make another Roshi competitor f- three years, four years later. And r- the Roshi did retro, right? Like, I think the the Roshi, <sighs> they called it the Roshi one, right? In like 2015 or 2016.
1: It, for like a second. It was like a flash in the pan kind of deal. Like, it didn't yeah. last long.
0: Yeah.
1: Like whatsoever. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: But it's just nuts. So I brought this one out because we we're talking about it. Looking at a lot of those shoes, we're talking about those very like simplistic runners this is original uh ultra Boost from 2015 was seven mm-hmm. years now almost eight years this shoe like it actually held up you get a lot of runners and simplistic minimalistic shoes they start falling apart so it they, i just don't i mean i understand everything is a training to come back around but adidas did something so good where the most the, the, I guess the most irritating thing about it is that the boost stains and it's really hard to clean it because I like the, all the, the crevices. But even if the shoe is, quote unquote, bottomed out, it's not like an air bubble where I'm like squeaking around. It, you can tell that I have a flat tire. I could still wear this shoe and be extremely comfortable. I may have a little bit more ground feel, but they just they market this shoe so well that it sucks that it kind of hinged on Kanye a bit. Mm hmm. So I, I just – it just kind of goes back to Nick's point. You market something – the word boost is synonymous with all sneaker, sneaker heads. So they just know. So if anyone can come back like with that story, like even though it's kind of a throwing spaghetti in the wall scene with stick, like you said, a cloud foam. It's It was more of the budget-friendly side, I think. So it didn't have that cool look. But as long as they keep pushing boost now because that plus – I guess prime knit is just like the magic combination for Adidas.
0: I, I mean, it, it kind of, it kind of is, uh, it, it kind of wasn't Kanye too. Right. Because when the, when the ultra boost came out, you had like the maybe 12 to 18 months of essentially like their OG colors, you know, like mm-hmm. you mentioned the cream color was like probably sixth or seventh in the line. And towards the end of that first run and then they introduced collaborations and adidas probably in my you know this is a bold statement but adidas does collaborations better than anybody in my opinion like if you look back at like the a to zx a to zx series from you know whenever that was 2006 or 7 where they go through Mm -hmm. the whole alphabet and find partners that have that you know letter at the front of their name to partner with you know the the ultra boost the the best thing that they did was not silo it into performance, right? They were like, okay, mm-hmm. let's embrace that people are wearing this casually and lean into that. So then you had so many great, you know, hype beast did a shoe, high snobiety, uh, you know, p- partners that didn't normally do collabs, right? But then yeah. you had like the traditional ones, Woodwood. Uh, sneakers and stuff, you know, like soul soul box. Yeah. Blew everyone's mind. Yeah. Like there was just so many good ones that I think that's really an interesting piece to like how they approach that, that, you know, these brands, I know we're getting a little long winded, but these brands inherently keep things separate because it's easier to manage Mm -hmm. budgets and money and, and people in that way. But Mm -hmm. they're most successful when, when the brands are all crossed up to Rowett's point, the mercurial stuff, you know, like the Kobe stuff, where he's able to go and and kind of cross, like you know, buildings on campus and get people excited. It's it's not just the product, right? It's the story. It's it's mm-hmm. the being able to connect with people behind the scenes. It's all of those things. Sorry, it's all those things that come into play that actually make shoes really successful. And we're kind of at this point too, where. All the brands just kind of go and do the same things now. And like, to to your point, it's like they would put Travis Scott on it. Well, because, you know, the Wall Street numbers have to add up to X amount and Travis Scott inherently equals a certain dollar amount every time you put his name on something, regardless of what it is. And I think that's really, uh, um, in my opinion, we're just in that that talking about that, you know, kind of pendulum swinging. We're just at that state where collaborations are you know, they're never going away, but the dependency on a, on a few, like very, you know, tight range of collaborations, I think is something that we'll see kind of disappear. And we'll start to see people like getting really creative. And we do occasionally with some of the other brands where you're seeing like, you know, skate, skate brands do this Mm -hmm. incredibly well, right? It's like, Oh, you have a shop in, you know, whatever small city in whatever small state. Cool. You, You get a uh, you know, a new balance collab, you get a, yeah. you know, Nike SB collab. Like that's where like the, the creativity really kind of bubbles up from people that don't always get that. But when you go back to a Travis Scott, not to say, not to pick on Travis Scott, but this is like any collaborator, right? There's only so many things that these people are going to do with the same silhouettes before they get bored with it. And are just like, <laughs> let's just throw all black on it and throw my logos on it. Travis Scott Jordan One. I
2: I think one last thing (laughs) I will say, Nick, is to your point around collaborations. I think each one of the big two does something extremely well that the other one can only hope to accomplish. The thing is, and you've alluded to this, Adidas does a much better job collaborating with external partners. Nike does probably the best job in the world when they keep things in house. So when you do like the Kyrie Mamba mentality. There is no equivalent to that in my mind from a Adidas perspective that can generate that much hype, that can generate that much goodwill. But they rest their laurels on the fact that, hey, we're going to do this collab with Kanye or we're going to do this. So I think that's the different yin and yang of it all. And yeah. I don't think one way is particularly right. One way is particularly wrong because at the end of the day, everybody is just trying to get money because they need to flip their sneakers, whether it's yeah. on a corporate scale or whether it's on a out of the trunk sale.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just I think Adidas always has been more flexible with with their partners. I mean, clearly you can argue that Travis Scott plays some of the most freedom with Nike, but other than him and Jay Lorenzo, who's now with Adidas, I think Adidas just has their they're open to these ideas of hey, we're gonna get a little crazy. And we know that people will like that while Nike can cross-pollinate with each other, like you said, Mamba Curial or you know, Kobe and Mercurial, Kyrie Kobe, so on and so forth. That it, it works better for them that way. I mean, that's why you get so all these like the LeBron mixed with the Air Max One Safari that worked. Like, they yeah. just have, they have their different paths and it just works for them. But like, just like Roet said,
2: the Vapor Mike Tour to part, Jordan 3's right? Kyrie yeah. Kyrigos collab. Yeah, like, it's just yep. things like that. There you go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great point And we can probably wrap on that because I I really think that that's like, to your point, Roet, that is like the two. It, it's like. Nike's, the their success is, is their you know, it's like the, the default at this point, right? Well, we know that we're going to do this the best, so we're going to keep it in house. We're going to find some other people across the, across the campus, and we're going to do some cool shit together. And with Adidas, I feel like they've always lacked a little bit of confidence in that regard, but yeah. they've made up for it in the confidence and letting creative people go a little crazy. Right. Yeah. And that, and that predates a lot of, a lot of this conversation too, you know, like thinking of like, you know, they gave Jeremy Scott an entire line of shoes without any thought or prayer that it was going to work in my opinion. And it did like that shoe, all the stuff that he did, you know, 2008, nine or whatever was absolutely bananas and was ridiculed by guys like me who then turned around and bought pairs multiple you know months later where it was like oh that's a cool colorway i want that one you know like but like do i need wings on my shoes no yes i do like that's <laughs> I why need i need those wings like that's why i love sneakers so much is like like people can do things and and do it in creative ways where you think the most ridiculous things are then somehow cool and wearable and like you just like ah, just I just love this stuff, and I'm so stoked to be able to talk to you guys about this because this is a really great conversation.
1: Yeah, I will you know, I'll talk about shoes all day. What are you talking about? Did shoes and Taco <laughs> Bell. <laughs>
2: Shoot, <laughs> we're gonna kill it in that 18 to 34 female demographic of this episode. <laughs> we're kill it in that game.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if this was a uh, as soon as Taco Bell's heard, it's like, oh, this is this is gonna be a. Uh, 99% male episode. Oh, yeah. what her talk about?
2: We're out of here. It's the Bay. I don't even know. It, take lives, it needs to be anyway, Nick, take us home.
0: All right. Well, we appreciate all of you listening, watching, uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you're on YouTube, make sure that you give us a review. If you're on iTunes, hit that follow button on Spotify, tap that little star to give us a rating. Uh, you can also leave us a review on Amazon music. If you listen to us on Amazon music, if you haven't done any of those things, I just got to ask, why not? You know, like just we've do been it, cranking man. out the episodes. Uh, just give us a little love; yeah. we would really appreciate it. Anything uh, is possible. <laughs> yeah, anything is possible. More anything, importantly, yeah, anyway,
2: you can find me on exactly. Twitter at rohizi. You can follow me on Instagram at m 13 Mike, where can they follow you? They you find me here at Sneaker History. You can find me on Instagram
1: and Twitter at MadWatcher789. Also, find me on YouTube at Mike Guillory as well. Nick. Tell them where you're at, but
0: you can find me at Nick Engval on all the platforms. You can also find all of us at sneaker history. Most importantly, hit the first link in the description to join the community. It's free discord. It's popping. We do some great things. There's incredible people in there. I love you all. I appreciate y'all and we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. See ya.
2: Besos. <laughs> <laughs>